Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the slip sliding away edition. We look back at the Bengals' fourth straight loss, a 24-10 L at the hands of the Denver Broncos that dropped the Bengals to 5-7 after a 4-1 start. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, locker room interviews, and Dave Lapham will join me for post-game analysis. Plus, in this week's Fun Fags interview, you'll get to know rookie linebacker Malik Jefferson. We'll discuss a wide variety of topics, including the time he met one of People Magazine's most beautiful women in the world on a recruiting trip. If that's not unfair recruiting, I don't know what is. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since clocks that automatically adjust when you move from time zone to time zone. I traveled to Las Vegas for a little more than 24 hours over the weekend for a UC basketball game on Saturday, then turned around and came back to Cincinnati for the Bengals game on Sunday. And it's really helpful when your phone and watch automatically adjust to local time. If only my body adjusted as easily. Now let's get to football. For just the fifth time in eight years, the Bengals had a starting quarterback other than Andy Dalton on Sunday. It was 25-year-old Jeff Driscoll making his first start in 1,080 days, going back to the 2015 New Orleans Bowl when he led Louisiana Tech to a 47-28 win over Arkansas State. With all due respect to the Red Wolves, they don't have pass rushers like the Denver Broncos. Second down and 15, the Bengals at their own 26. Driscoll catches a shotgun snap. He is back to throw, and he will be sacked. Back at the 16-yard line by Shelby Harris, the nose tackle. That was the first of four sacks for Denver, and to make matters worse, A.J. Green suffered a non-contact injury to his right foot on the play. After struggling to get to the sideline, A.J. was taken off the field on a cart and appeared to be distraught as he covered his face with his hands. A.J. had just returned to the Bengals' lineup after missing three games with a toe injury. Here's fellow receiver Tyler Boyd. You know, he told us he was fine. He felt fine. He was practicing, and we thought he was ready to go. And what happened to him was just like, it let us know, like, the type of player he is and where his heart is at. I could imagine what he's going through, you know, because I know he wants to win, and we just had to talk before we played this game. Like, let's go. We got to... We gotta we gotta make this push. We gotta we gotta get over this hump and win these next games. And him going down kind of um, made it a lot tougher for us to uh, do what we said we were gonna do. The Bengals' defense played well in the first half as the Broncos failed to score on their first four drives. But penalties destroyed Cincinnati on offense. We're scoreless with 6:42 remaining in the first half. Shotgun snap. Jeff Driscoll with a three-step drop slaps at the ball and he will be sacked. Couldn't get it out of his hand, and he's tackled at the 26-yard line by Von Miller and Shelby Harris. That's what happens when you have a holding penalty and you're off schedule, and you got a you know second and 20. Now it's third and even more than that. In the first half, Driscoll and company faced third and 16, third and 24, third and 25, third and 29, and third and 35. Here's the Bengals QB. We've been saying all week we gotta we gotta be good on first and second down, and you know there were some times there where you know we, we were behind the sticks a little bit during the game, but um, yeah, I mean when you get in 
some some third and long type stuff like like we did today. It's tough, and I mean at the end of the day, we just didn't make enough plays uh, as an offense to get it done, and that's what really what it comes down to. The Bengals finished with a dozen penalties for 100 yards, and that's unacceptable according to Tyler Boyd. Sucks, man. It's what 12 penalties for 100 yards. You you'll never win, ever. That sucks, man. It's she's got to clean things up. I don't know if it was his cadence was throwing everybody off or. Like I said, the pressure was too good. They was getting jumps on it. But, I mean, we was trying to change everything up to help the line. And, you know, it's, I don't really know. We just got to watch the film and see what we can correct. The Broncos finally capitalized on the Bengals' sloppiness with less than two minutes to go in the half. Case Keenum under center, takes the snap, hands it off. Lindsey started right, cuts it back to the middle, and goes into the end zone standing up. Touchdown, Denver, with 156 left in the half. And he does a mile-high salute here in Cincinnati. After Phillip Lindsay put the Broncos on the scoreboard, the Bengals answered with a scoring drive of their own. They had it first and goal at the Denver 7 with 31 seconds left in the half when, guess what, a penalty cost them 10 yards and forced the Bengals to settle for a field goal try. It'll be a 35-yard field goal try for Randy Bullock on a very windy day. Harris snaps it, Huber puts it down, the kick is launched by Randy Bullock and it is good! And the Bengals are on the scoreboard with 12 seconds left in the half, trailing Denver 7-3. Considering the steady stream of penalty flags, the Bengals were in good shape. And when the defense forced a three and out on Denver's first possession of the third quarter, it looked like Cincinnati would get decent field position. Casey Kreider's long snap, shoulder high, right-footed punt, crushed. Erickson moving under it, catches at the 37, oh, no. drops the football, tries to recover his own fumble. Looks like Denver has it at the 33-yard line of Cincinnati, and that is the case. And that's a rarity. I mean, if there's one guy that Darren Simmons has confidence in, it's Alex Erickson catching the ball. It was Erickson's first fumble of the season. It was cutting against the wind. Um, he didn't hit it clean, so it was, it was going the opposite way, and I was just running up and um, just kind of slipped right through my arms and wasn't able to fall back on it. And um, you know, no one's gonna eat at me for uh, till we till next Sunday, that's for sure. I mean, you're a guy that never does that, so I guess yeah. that's got. I mean, you try, you know, your, your deal is reliability. Yeah, obviously, I, and uh, it just you just anytime you let the team down, let you know, let your teammates down, and. Um, you know, hurt the team. You know, you obviously disappointed, and um, and as a as a man, a competitor, you, you know, you want to make every play. And um, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that today. Two plays after the fumble, the Broncos made the Bengals pay. Second down and seven at the Cincinnati 30 after the fumbled punt. Keenum fakes a handoff, looks to throw. He's going to air it out into the end zone. Sutton goes up and hauls it in over Darius Phillips for a 30-yard touchdown catch. Erickson's fumble was the Bengals' first turnover of the game. Less than two minutes later, they made their second. Double tight ends in for Cincinnati. Driscoll turns right, fakes to Mixon, being rushed. Lobs one deep uh -oh. downfield, intercepted at the six-yard line. Obviously, my poor decision when we were, you know, near the red zone to just lob one up out there. Um, you know, that, that really hurt our football team. We, we hurt ourselves today, and, and we didn't make enough plays to win the football game. The Broncos, on the other hand, did make enough plays, none bigger than this play by Philip Lindsay. Here's a toss sweep to the left. Lindsay with blockers in front to the 40, the 50. Look out. He is pulling away. And that is going to be a 65-yard touchdown run. Wow. Lindsay finished with a career-high 157 yards on 19 carries. For the season, the undrafted rookie out of Colorado 
has rushed for 937 yards and is averaging 6.1 a pop. Here's Bengals linebacker Hardy Nickerson. He's dynamic. You know, he's undersized, but he hits the hole, you know, as he's, as if he was a big guy. Um, you know, he's able to show in the gap and bounce out, uh, so it makes it hard on, on the whole defense in terms of we, we really got to play true to our gaps, but hell of a player. Um, you know, he's it's, it's one of those things you're scratching your head, why didn't he get drafted? Not a lot of guys run like that anymore either. It seems like everybody's kind of picking and trying to, you know, do the Le'Veon Bell type thing, and he just explodes. One cut, and he's he's fast. I think um, last last week or a few weeks ago, they had him at 22 miles an hour. So he he can run with the, with the best of them, and uh, you know he's very decisive and he really hits the hole. The Bengals kept battling and answered Lindsey's long run with their only touchdown of the day. Driscoll fakes a handoff, throws, caught by Cody Court, the 15, nice. escapes a tackle, nice. breaks another, and takes it into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals, on a 30-yard throw from Driscoll to Core. And Bradley Roby missed the tackle. Jeff Driscoll hit him, Bradley Roby couldn't bring him down, and Cody Core makes him pay. That was the first career TD for third-year receiver Cody Core. It was 21-10 going to the fourth quarter, and playing catch-up against the Broncos is tough, with the best one-two pass rush duo in the NFL, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Shotgun snap. Driscoll oh. gets hit from behind by Chubb. The ball squirts out. Denver will recover at the 20-yard line. And that led to a Brandon McManus field goal that made the final score 24-10 Denver. The Broncos win their third straight to even the record at 6-6, six and six while the Bengals lose for the sixth time in their last seven games. For what it's worth, teams with five and seven records only make the playoffs 4% of the time. Here's Alex Erickson. At some point, it, you know, it's not even about that. It's just about, you know, being professional, being a competitor, and, um, you know, just doing your job, and uh, no matter what your record is, and um, it's just up to you to perform, and um, if you don't, you know, obviously there's going to be consequences, so... We just got to focus on our jobs and just, you know, be professionals and, and prepare and, and get ready to just play the Chargers and get a win. In his first career start, Jeff Driscoll finished 25 for 38 for 236 yards with a touchdown pass, an interception, a lost fumble, and a passer rating of 80.6. Here's offensive lineman Trey Hopkins, who started at guard for the first time this year. Um, I was very impressed with him. I thought he did great. Um, Driscoll's a guy that, I, I mean, Loved him since he's been here, and I think he really stepped up and he really took charge of the huddle, and he and he, he kept guys positive, kept guys on the same page, and and, and really displayed um, a level of leadership that you you need and you expect from from a starting quarterback. He won't have to wait 1,080 days to start again. Driscoll will be under center next Sunday in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Now, time to bring in my broadcast partner Dave Lapham for post game analysis, and we begin with the dirty dozen, the Bengals 12 penalties and you just can't have it I mean you know physical mistakes uh holding you know hands placement problems on on uh returns and special teams hand placement problems illegal block in the back holding those kind of things defensively you know too handsy those happen but the mental mistakes you know jumping off sides false starts illegal formations those kind of mental mistakes is just now you're talking about, you know, a lack of focus, a lack of commitment. You know, you have, you, at this stage of the season, you can't be committing those kind of mental errors. And, and they're, starting to, they're starting to really be, become an issue in the first half. 
They had uh, six consecutive third down conversion opportunities that averaged 19 and a half yards per conversion attempt because of penalties. You can't do that. I mean, against this team with those two pass rushers, you never want to be more than third and four. And they're third one. They were third and 16, third and 25, third and 39, third and 17. Come on now. You know, you have to stay ahead of the chains on these guys. You have to make it a makeable third down situation. It was just abominable, you know, what they were doing. They were giving themselves no chance whatsoever. I mean, the Denver Broncos defense is good enough to beat you. You can't put yourself on your schedule, too, and say, okay, we're going to make it easier for you to beat us, Denver. We're going to play right into your hands. We're just going to let you tee off and thump us because that, you know, that's exactly what you, you put yourself into. Ten of the 13 third down opportunities at one stage of the game were for eight yards or more. Denver had two of 12. Or eight yards more, because Lindsey's boom, he's pounding it. If he's not busting it for you know 50-yard touchdowns, he's he's getting six, eight, you know, making it second and four, second and two, and then third and short. That was a difference in the football game. You know, one team set themselves up for third-down situations when they got there that they could convert, and the Bengals got there far too often in situations that they had no business being in, and they couldn't convert them. Lap as the season spirals in a bad direction for the Bengals, two guys stand out to me for really busting their tail, even as things are going poorly. Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon. Boyd had 97 receiving yards in Sunday's loss. Mixon, 82 rushing yards, 13 receiving yards. Yeah, I think both guys are uh, are setting a good example. You know, I think their their effort, their enthusiasm, the you know Joe, the unbridled joy for the game. Tyler Boyd's the same way. You know he. He relishes an opportunity to make plays. The dude is tough, man. He'll go over the middle against anybody, anytime, anywhere, take a hit, go to the ground. The ground will cause another hit on him. He's just, I mean, the catch he made caught the back half of the football, had a very, like, shocking (laughs) drop. I mean, it never happens. Tyler Boyd just doesn't drop the football, but it happens to everybody. Everybody's a human being. But, man, both of those guys care, care. There's no quitting either of them, and more, more guys should should look at themselves in the mirror and say, am I giving the effort that those two are giving? If I'm not, up the ante. Because those guys, uh, Joe was almost inconsolable um, after the game. You know, he was tried to excuse himself going to get his mother at the airport and didn't want to talk much about the, the game. But w- when he did talk, he was he was crushed, crushed. And, um, you know, I, you know he'll, he'll bounce back and, you know, guys uh, – you know, on both sides of the football, guys have to step up and start establishing an energy level that guys have to meet. Sam Hubbard, I think, is trying to do it as a young guy. Sam Hubbard's trying to step up and be a leader, and that's good to see. And, you know, Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd, young leaders. That's what this football team needs, the next class of guys, the next group, to show themselves as leaders. And it's easy to lead when you're winning. True leaders, you know, it's like, what do you do when the camera's not on you? What do you do when nobody's watching? These guys are leading. Final numbers on Jeff Driscoll in his first NFL start. 25 for 38, 236 yards, one touchdown pass, a 30-yarder to Cody Core, one interception, passer rating of 80.6. How'd he do? He was lamenting the interception. You know, he, he, he focused on that when I talked to him. He said, you know, a bonehead play I made when I just threw it up there. You know, I can't do that. I really hurt our football team. And, he, you know, it was a... A tough situation. Naked bootleg was not, Chubb was not fooled by it whatsoever. He's pressuring him and he, off his back foot as he's falling away, he just puts it up there and overthrows his intended target and it's an easy, easy interception. 
Um, but honestly, I felt like in the first game as a starting quarterback in the NFL, there would be a, an interception or a play like, oh, geez, that's a rookie mistake or, you know, an inexperienced mistake. And I was hoping it wouldn't be that many of them. And there weren't that many, but there weren't any big plays to overcome it. Just, you know, you could think the Tyler Boyd catch, a couple of plays by Tyler Boyd. He and Tyler Boyd have a chemistry. They've already, they've already formed a pretty, pretty incredible bond. And that's going to have to stay that way because A.J. Green looks like, you know, it could be an IR candidate. I mean, Andy Dalton went on IR. A.J. Green, the way he limped off the field and, and carted off the field, when's he going to be able to play again? By the time he's able to play, the season will be over. So, um, you know, Tyler Boyd and Jeff Driscoll, that's going to be the, the combination. And then Joe Mixon still gave, you know, tremendous effort. So they do have like a triplets that they can, you know, hang their hat on, hopefully, and, and, uh, and, and see how it finishes. But I thought overall, considering a lot of the circumstances he was put in, he, he was also disappointed in the fact that they didn't take advantage of that turnover when Hardy Nickerson Jr. stripped it out of there and Vigil fell on top of it. They didn't do anything. But, you know, and then obviously <laughs> – you know, have the ball at, at, uh, at midfield, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're third down, you're back inside your 20-yard line, you know, just ultimately throwing the, throwing the drive in reverse. You know, those are the kind of things you just can't have. So uh, some of it, very little of it was all his fault. He contributed. Man, he had way too much help. He had a lot of guys. Instead of, instead of trying to do a little bit more for him, they were doing less and putting him in a tougher situation, putting a, too much burden and responsibility on his shoulders. Last thing, following up on A.J. Green, he's the ice man, coolest guy in the room, rarely sees uh, wild displays of emotion, whether it's celebration or uh, disappointment. But, boy, what a sight to see him, head buried in his hands, crying as he exited the field on a cart with a team on its way to a 5-7 and seven record. It, it shows how much A.J. Green cares. A.J. Green is all in. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to find uh, a superstar that cares about his teammates and cares about the welfare of his organization more than A.J. Green. Most superstars are just all in it for them. He's all in it for everybody. And that's what makes A.J. Green so, so unique and so special. I mean, you know, A.J. Green's the kind of guy that every dad wished that he'd marry their daughter. He's that, he's that kind of guy. And, you know, we say it all the time, but in this case, it's this on exponentially as great a football player as he is. And he is walking into the Hall of Fame on a first ballot. You know, he's, he might as well buy real estate in Florida and Hawaii because he's going to be in every Pro Bowl. Um, he's an even better guy, better human being. He was raised right. He's a great husband, great father, great teammate, great member of the community. A.J. Green's one special dude. Thanks, Lap. Now time for this week's fun fact segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. In this case, it's one of the Bengals' two third-round draft picks this year. Time for some fun facts with Bengals linebacker Malik Jefferson from Mesquite, Texas, not too far from Dallas, the so-called rodeo capital of Texas. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what you're into as a kid. Uh, Mesquite is a, it's a great town. I love it. It's a very small community. Uh, we were made up of five different high schools, so we're all kind of relatives when it comes to anything we do outside of, you know, when we leave Mesquite. You know, growing up, we always used to be around each other in basketball, football, baseball. We always knew who the elite guys were uh, in the town, and so it was really cool growing up. We just all hung out with each other. Speaking of brothers, you have two older brothers. How much older and how tough were they on their kid brother? 
I have one that's 30 and I have one that's 25. So uh, they were really tough on me. I barely got any breaks with them. <laughs> Everything they did, I had to do, especially workout-wise, and that's what kind of made me, you know, who I am. And, of course, our dad was very tough on us, so I would get the same treatment they got. Um, but it was a, uh, it was very. I, I could appreciate my brothers more than anything because they did give me a lot of tools for life skills and, and of course, my physical abilities. Tell me a little more about your dad. What did or does he do for a living? Uh, my dad's an architect. Hmm. Um, he's worked that many, many years and uh, planning on retiring soon. So, uh, congrats to his long longevity with that. Because uh, without his sacrifice, I mean, a lot of things that wouldn't happen in my life wouldn't have happened. So. Um, he's a great, great guy. He's my life mentor. He t- tells me everything, even though we argue about things. And <laughs> I have my own opinion. He has his own opinions. I like how we can be, um, you know, have our opinions and, of course, solve them like men. And I appreciate the respect he gives me. We're doing Fun Facts with Malik Jefferson. There have been books, TV shows, and movies done about high school football in Texas. Was it like that at Poteet High School? Of course. We had all the crowds and every rivalry game. People would love to come see us because – uh, not only myself, but I had two other teammates that were highly dra- highly recruited out of high school. And so um, people come to watch us play. And my time in my school, I was probably the first person. I am the first person to go pro athletically um, and make an active roster. So I put that step in stool. So hopefully we have some guys in the future that, you know, follow my path and are able to come to the, to the highest level of football. You won the Butkus Award in high school, top high school linebacker in the country. Dick Butkus showed up at your high school to give you the award. Was that a surprise? Uh, yeah, I had a feeling, though, people can't hold water. So uh, <laughs> I had a feeling he was going to be coming, and it was uh, really, really cool to, to have that guy there. And, you know, people didn't know much about him, but super legendary. I was hoping to get it in college, but, you know, things with their own ways, and, uh, you know, you have to learn and grow from that stuff. You were a highly touted recruit. Did you enjoy the process, or was it exhausting? Uh, actually, it was a mix. You know, there was times where you just, you know, want to put your phone down and talk to your family, be around your family. They want to talk to coaches because you knew half of it wasn't real. Um, they just want to be honest with you. They, you know, trying to feed you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. So um, it was very tough, especially financially, going places with the rules and regulations. I wasn't able to bring both of my parents. So the places that were far that I really considered, I really didn't get the opportunity to to get the full look at them and, and visit the university like I wanted to. But um, I think it was a very fun experience overall, and I, I really enjoyed it. One of those more distant schools was UCLA, and I read on your visit that you met actress Kerry Washington, yes. a.k.a. Olivia Pope on the TV show <laughs> Scandal, one of People Magazine's most beautiful women in the world. Tell me about that. Uh, it was really my mom. Uh, we didn't get to talk to her much because she was with some kids that day. Respectfully, we were like, that's perfectly fine. You know, I'm, I'm not big into going up to, you know, famous people and, you know, going out of my way to just, especially when they're doing something, to, to bother them because I do that sometimes, you know. I, but I don't mind it. But the realm is different. They get it everywhere she goes. But uh, my mom was able to speak to her, and I took a side picture of them just talking um, but I never got to actually meet her, but it was really cool being around her, yeah. So more exciting for your mom than you. Yeah, very exciting for my mom. <laughs> she was very polite to my mom. It was like, hey, I'm with the kids, and once I take one picture, more people are going to come, and I was like, okay, I completely understand that. So it was a really cool experience, though, still. We're doing Fun Facts with Malik Jefferson. You went to Texas, where one of your mentors was a former Longhorns linebacker who's from here, Jordan Hicks, yeah. who went to Lakota West High School. 
Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Jordan. You know, Jordan was actually the, the first person I met going into UT. I remember it being my sophomore year. I showed up to a UT game unofficially, and uh, I went to the locker room, and he gave me a pair of gloves, and I was like, oh, man, appreciate it. Like, he was hurt at the time. He had tore his Achilles, and he was on the card, but uh, he gave me his gloves. And forever since then, I looked up to him like a big brother, and I appreciate his mentorship, his advice that he's given me, especially throughout all this process, because it's uh, very tough. you got to have people – who, who know what you're going through to be able to get through it. So uh, he's a very big mentor in my life, and I still consistently talk to him. How did he react when you were drafted by his hometown team? Uh, uh, he just told me congrats. It wasn't any big you know, reaction or anything like that, but uh, hopefully in the offseason we can link up. And, you know, He has the, the family and the, the, the new baby now, so congrats to him. Malik, you left Texas with one year of eligibility remaining, and you put out a thank you video when you announced that decision that included some sign language. How much do you know? I'm pretty fluent in it. I can sign. I actually have dreams about doing sign language. They say that's a sign that you know what what you're doing. Actually, you kind of know the language. So um, I try as much as I can to practice, um, especially like sometimes when I'm in meetings, I'm in there spelling stuff out or just thinking what what it is in sign language. It's A lot of the stuff is the stuff we already know as kids. It's just little things that – you know, you got to get used to doing day-to-day lives. It's different times and stuff. But it's a very fun language to learn, and the people I've met just doing that is, is incredible. When did you learn it, and why did you choose to learn it? Uh, I learned it a year and a half ago. I really started my end of sophomore year and just kept practicing and then took the classes, of course. And, um, you know, I, I had taken Spanish classes before. I wasn't really grasping it it is more of a process I wanted something I can actually grasp and make an impact and influence with so I did American Sign Language and met some great friends got friends everywhere now so it's a really cool experience I'd have you do some but it's a radio interview so it wouldn't work out very well Uh, you got invited to the NFL scouting combine and we've all heard the horror stories about being poked and prodded etc but I read that you enjoyed it Uh, I did not enjoy it (laughs) I read incorrectly apparently you did (laughs) It feels like it's not a process for the player because you're sitting around for four days after you've done massive amounts of trainings. The weeks before, you're training every day. You're not used to just sitting around interviewing, um, especially training your mind or just just torturing your mind with the things you're seeing and um, the exposure and the less sleep you get. You don't train for that. You train to get more sleep and be ready to work out the next day. So having four days off before you actually work out was my biggest issue. Um, a lot of people get hurt from that stuff. I think it should be you fly in first, you work out that next day, and then you can do all the interview process and stuff like that. So guys can be able to perform at a high level without being exhausted or tired. Um, so I think that is something they should definitely change because that will help the performance of athletes instead of, you know, because the combat is really a make-or-break situation. You either do good, you do bad, or you don't do it. So, um I think it's definitely something to help out the players. If we're going to continue to do that process, it should be something like that. All right, a couple more fun facts for Bengals linebacker Malik Jefferson. You were the 14th pick of the third round this year, the so-called Pizza Hut pie pick, 3.14. You were supposed to get free pizza for a year, but you went through your stash before the year was up. Is that what happened? I see the thing is I had some friends and family members you know, people ask for things, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I get the free pizza, whatever. They always call me, can I get a pizza? Like, uh, okay, it's getting out of hand. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I'm really not 
using the pieces all the time because I got to eat healthy, watch my diet, things like that. So I was like, okay, here you go, here you go. And I give them to people, let them do it, but um, I ran out. But then Pizza Hut actually sent me some more. So anytime I run out, apparently I think I can get more pizza cards. But they, you know, they, they've done a pretty good job with that. All right. I was worried that there's some fine print no, that we weren't aware of. No fine print. They're really good with that. I really appreciate them. All right. Last thing for Malik Jefferson. Are you familiar with the term diastema? No. You and Michael Strahan and David Letterman have that in common. If I'm saying it right, that is the gap between the front teeth. Mm. You've got a magnetic smile, lights up the room. But did kids used to kid you about the gap between the front teeth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about doing uh, actually some Invisalign in the future. But, you know, mom kind of, I get the smile from mom. It's, it's her gap. She has her clothes. So I was like, that's not fair. You have your clothes. And mine's still open. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. My, everybody tells me when I'm not smiling, it's something wrong. And so I try as best as I can to put a smile on my face and, you know, show people how happy I am. Hey, you do have a smile that lights up the room. I genuinely mean that. And I appreciate your time very much. Best of luck the rest yes, of the sir. way. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback has been awesome, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.